going to be in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And the, the, the overarching question that I'd, that I'd like you to be thinking about as we go through this message tonight is, is what's in your hand? What is it that you have that God can use? Uh, I've got a very vivid imagination. Um, I'm very easily distracted. Uh, and you'll pick that up as I preach tonight. Uh, and I don't know, am I the only one that you find yourself, you're, you're reading through the Bible, trying to be faithful to your Bible reading, and you get down to the end of a chapter and have no idea what you just read? Am, am I the only one that does that? You know, I'll, be, I'll be reading along and something will, will be said in the verse, and my, mind, my eyes keep reading, but my mind kind of tracks off somewhere else. And I, and I found that happening. We've got the, John chapter 6 is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I grew up in church. I was in, I was in Bible college when I was two. Uh, my parents were in Bible college at that time when I was born. So I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every special meeting. And so the story of the feeding of the 5,000, I have heard over and over and over again. But as I was reading through, the, the young lad in the story just kind of stepped out into my mind and I began to ponder and think about it. And so I'd like to focus a little bit about the young lad and draw out some conclusions about him here this evening. And so we're going to start in John chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5, and we're going to read down through verse number 13. Beginning in verse number 5, it says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise to the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd be with my mouth tonight. Lord, just guide me. Help me to be an encouragement to the church, Lord, but also a challenge, Lord, to see what else we can continue to do for you. Bless and direct our time here tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Here we are Wednesday night. Cold Wednesday night up in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, I would hope on a Wednesday night... Most everybody here has the desire to serve the Lord. Uh, it, it is. I grew up in a missionary family. I spent 10 years as an assistant pastor. I now work in missions work. I've always had the desire, Lord, use me any way you want. I just want to be used. And I hope that that is your desire. Lord, please use me. Allow me to do something great for you. And un unfortunately, in our society and, and in our day and age, oftentimes we think that if I'm going to do something great for God, then I have to do something great. And yet we're going to see in a couple of these examples tonight, 
that it wasn't anything great that they did, but God was actually taking the little that was done and turned things into miraculous results. And that's what we see here with the feeding of the 5,000. As I said before we prayed, the young lad kind of jumped out to me in this story because the type of teenager that I was growing up, the, the personality that I have, the first question that popped into my mind is, why is he there? There's no mention of his parents. There's no mention of him being with anybody else. It's just this young lad with five loaves and two fishes. And so I'm thinking, why is he even there? Where are his parents? It, it's possible, it's possible that his parents had sent him to the market to get some food, and, and so perhaps the five loaves and two small fishes were, were food that was for supper for the family that evening. And while he was at the market, oftentimes when Jesus would come into the area, it would be noised abroad that Jesus was there. And so perhaps he heard what was going on and thought, you know, Mom and Dad aren't expecting me home right away. I can, I can slip out and just see what's going on. I mean, it's Jesus. I get to see Jesus. And perhaps he had heard about the miracles, and so he got caught up with the crowd and just wasn't supposed to be there, but just kind of happened to be there. It's also possible that it was planned for him to be there. Oftentimes, again, it would be noise brought in advance of Jesus coming, and a crowd would be gathered before Jesus would ever arrive. And so they may have heard that Jesus was coming, and perhaps his mom had prepared the, prepared the food as a lunch for him. You've got a teenage boy. Teenage boys like to eat. I've got three of them, I know. Uh, and so perhaps it was food that was prepared for him for while he was out. They're out in a wilderness place. The people begin to get hungry, and so the mom had possibly planned ahead and prepared for the young lad when most everybody was unprepared. I don't know why he ended up there. But the one thing that I do know is that he desired to be close to Jesus. You say, Brother Engels, that's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, you just mentioned about the miracles and caught up in the crowd. Yes, but when Jesus made the request for the food, who did he make the request of? It was his, it was his disciples. It was his apostles. It was, it was the men that were his close friends, his companions. Realize, they're in a group of 5,000 people. That's a pretty big crowd. If, if Pastor was up here and I didn't have the microphone off, on, and I walked over and had a conversation with Pastor here on the platform, some of you might overhear some of what we had to say. But back there, they're not going to hear it. And so you have a young lad in a group of 5,000 people had a desire to be close to Christ. And the second thing that's interesting is he was paying attention. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. You can never tell when a teenager is really paying attention. I've taught Sunday school class over and over again, and you'll have that one teen that, I mean, he is just locked in. I mean, everywhere you go, his eyes are following you. And then you ask him a question, it's like you just woke him up from a nap. What? 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 What What'd you say? And then you got the other one, he's sitting in the back, counting the bumps on the ceiling, and you ask him a question, and he can repeat half of what you just said. When I was growing up, I, I was notorious. I was so eager to help that Dad would say, Jeremy, I want you to, and I was gone. Jeremy, I want you to go to the van and get, boom, I was gone. It's going to be obvious when I get out to the van exactly what Dad wants me to get. 
I'd be out there 10, 15 minutes goofing around and playing and trying to half search, look for something, and then I'd have to come inside and be like, um, Dad, what did you want me to get? And I can still hear my dad's words ringing in my ear. Jeremy, look at me with your eyes and repeat back to me what I just said. And he'd tell me exactly what he wanted. I'd repeat it back to him, and sure enough, there it was, right where he wanted me to go to get what it was. And so the, the fact that you have a young lad that desires to be close to Christ, unfortunately, oftentimes, young people don't have a desire. We, we desire to be around our friends, and that's why we come to church, but not always desire to be under the preaching. So he was there close to Christ. He was there paying attention. He was listening so that even when Jesus has a conversation with his close companions, he overhears what Jesus is saying. He's got the desire to help, and that desire causes him to give up food. Again, unusual for a teenage boy. Everybody is hungry. They're, they're discussing the need for food. And if, if you have teenagers or have had teenagers, you know that if you're hungry, your teenage child was probably hungry an hour ago. And so you've got this young lad who's there who's most likely already hungry as well. I don't think that he was a foolish young lad where he's like, oh, you need food? <laughs> I got this. I've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Don't worry, Jesus, this is all taken care of. I don't think that that was the case. You had a young lad who was there willing to give up what he had, knowing that it was not enough, knowing that it was insufficient, but willing to give it to God to use in any way that he saw fit, not expecting anything in return. I don't think he expected to get anything back. And do you want to know what? How many people do you think actually knew who brought the food? You've got a group of 5,000 people without a PA system. The young lad was there close to the companions. He gave the food to Jesus. Jesus blessed it and break it. And Jesus got all the glory. You see, when God asks us to get involved, he uses what we already have. But we have to be willing to give it. Just like the young lad, sometimes it's something that we want. Sometimes it's something that we may, we may need. And yet, if we're willing to give it to God, God can take the insufficient and turn it into all-sufficient. God can take the ordinary and turn it into extraordinary. God is the master of, of making a great amount out of very little. And so no matter how small or how insignificant we feel that the talents that we have or the, the gifts that we have to bring to God are, God wants to use our talents. I'd like to look at another passage of Scripture just briefly. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, we see Jesus perform another miracle. In verses 24 through 27, of Matthew 17, it says, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. When he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. 
Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. Here we see Jesus performing another miracle. First, Jesus provides food. Now he's providing money. Let's think about this story for just a moment. Who is it that is, that is providing in this story? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God. Could Jesus have done anything that he wanted to provide this money? It's a coin. It's a coin that Peter pulls out of a fish's mouth. Jesus very easily could have walked up to Peter and said, Hey, Peter, what's that behind your ear? And whoop, and he could have literally made that coin appear out of nothing. Could he not have? We're talking the Son of God. The, the God that spoke this world into existence. So why didn't Jesus just provide the money? Because he wants to use us. He wants us involved in his work. He, he has placed us here on this earth to bring him honor and to bring him glory and to be able to tell those around us about the goodness of God and what he's done in our lives and, and how he wants to change their lives. And so God asked Peter to get involved. <clears throat> Could Peter have provided the money? What did God ask Peter to do? Go fishing. Does Peter know how to fish? Yeah, he, he was a fisherman. Does, does Peter enjoy fishing? I would say he does. When Christ died, the very first thing that Peter does after Christ dies, he says, I go fishing. He went back to what he knew, to what he enjoyed. I think he went back to it partially to clear his head and to contemplate everything that just took place. And so, Jesus asked Peter to do something that he knows how to do, something that he enjoys doing, something that he's learned how to do to be able to provide for his family. And so, Peter can do all of the work himself, and yet God provides the miracle. Why didn't God allow Peter to do it all? Because then Peter is the one that gets all the glory. And so, Jesus asked Peter to get involved, but he sends Peter to do what he knows in the simplest way. Cast in a hook, one, singular, into the water. And the first fish that you pull up. Do we have any fishermen here tonight? Anybody do any fishing around here? I figure we're up in Alaska, probably a couple people. You've got your spot that you want to go fishing. You've got your time of day that you want to fish. You, you've, got, you've got the bait that you want to use depending upon what type, you're trying to, type of fish you're trying to get. You know, a real dedicated fisherman, they know all of the details. And I, I can just imagine, again, this is my imagination going wild a little bit, but I can just imagine as Jesus is telling Peter what to do, Peter's like, Lord, you don't understand. That's the wrong time of day. The, the spot you're sending me to is not a good spot. You're, you're telling me to throw in a hook with no bait. We're, we're, we're not fishing the rivers of Alaska for salmon and snagging. It's, Lord, there, I know you know what you're doing, but I think I have a better way. Sometimes when God asks us to get involved, 
Not only does he use what we already have, but he uses what we already know. But we have to be willing to do it his way. God's ways are not our ways. God's way does not always make sense, humanly speaking. But if we will simply trust God and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And God says, you have this ability, do it this way. And you step out on faith, following what God has for you. God will lead you along and perform something miraculous. Fishermen love their fishing stories. I mean, think about this. In one day of serving Jesus, Peter ended up with the best fishing story nobody's ever going to top. You know, one day I went fishing and I caught my tax money. Ha! Top that! God wants to use us. He wants us to be involved. But we have to be willing to do it. I'd like to briefly give just one other example. We're not going to turn there for sake of time. But Exodus chapter 3 and 4 is the calling of Moses. And if you're familiar with the story of Moses, I wish that when God called me to be in ministry, he did it like he did for Moses. You know, Moses is doing his job. He's going along and the bush starts on fire. It doesn't consume. Moses goes to check it out and a voice speaks to him out of the bush. If God did that for me, I would have been like, honey, you'd never believe what God wants us to do. And she'd have been like, honey, I think you got a little bit of heat stroke. You need to sit down for a minute. And yet here's Moses talking to God in a burning bush, and God tells him exactly what he wants him to do. And what does Moses do? He argues with God. Moses says, Lord, I'm nothing. But God says, I'll be with you. Moses says, Lord, they're not going to believe me. But God says, but I'll do great things through you. Then Moses says, but Lord, I don't speak well. And I don't know what his speech impediment was, whether he had a stutter, whether he had a stammer, a really high voice. I don't know what it was, but he says, Lord, I don't speak well. And God says, but I'll be with your mouth. And Moses continues to argue with God to the point that God says, fine, I will give you Aaron. I will speak to you. You will speak to Aaron. You will be as a God to Aaron, and Aaron will be your mouthpiece. How many times does Aaron speak for Moses? If you read the story carefully, you might be able to argue once or twice. But pretty much the rest of the time, Moses is doing exactly what God called him to do. When I I think of Moses' background, raised in Egypt, would you consider that to be a secular or spiritual upbringing? Secular. There is nothing spiritually good said about Egypt. Here Moses is arguing with God saying, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. But who's better qualified? Moses has already been kicked out of Egypt because he tried to rescue some of the Hebrew children for injustices being done to them. He speaks both languages. He knows the customs. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. I don't think to be the next Pharaoh, but I guarantee you he was raised to be a leader. He understands the political system. He has a burden for the people. He's going back to rescue his own people from slavery. Who's better suited to do what God has called him to do? And yet, Moses felt like he wasn't the guy. 
You see, when God asks us to get involved, he uses who we already are. We just have to be willing to go where he wants us to go. But that's where the problem lies. Oftentimes, we say, well, God doesn't really understand. God knew Moses better than Moses knew Moses. God knows you better than you know you. Well, but if if I surrender, God is going to send me to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. If if I surrender, God's going to send me to the South Pole to witness to the penguins. We're always worried about what God is going to do to us. And we forget about the fact that it's what God wants to do for us and through us. What did Paul say? Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm willing. One of the biggest questions I got as an assistant pastor and that I get regularly as I travel now, how do you know the will of God? And can I tell you, there are times that it is difficult to decipher some specific details about God's will. Uh, my wife and I prayed for over two years trying to determine if God wanted us to leave New York to join the Careers for Christ ministry. That was a long, difficult time of praying. But can I tell you that the vast majority of decisions that you have to make, you already know what you're supposed to do. If you do what you know is right today, God will take care of the future. My dad used to put it this way. He said, Jeremy, if you want to be successful in life, brush your teeth and make your bed. People aren't successful because they make one good decision. It's a series of good choices that lead them in the right direction. People generally don't destroy their lives over one bad decision. It's a series of decisions that lead them to that big decision. Do you want to serve God? Do you want to do something great for God? Read your Bible. Pray. Do what you know is right to do today. And God will take care of the future. In the story, we had a young lad who simply gave what he already had. We had a middle-aged man who simply did what he already knew how to do. He just did it God's way. And then you had an older man in Moses who was just simply willing to go where God led him to go. You want to know how you find God's will? Be willing to do what he asks you to do. My question tonight is, what's in your hand? What do you have that God can use? And are you willing to give it to him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,